Very cool to be together this morning. Um, cool weather-wise, but cool just because you're all cool. Um, it's a very warm welcome to Shane's family, I think over there somewhere. Uh, very cool there you are. Very good to have you join us. Um, very excited this morning uh, because Shane is an incredible man who the Lord has been working in much over the, the years. Um, and so to see him just progress and grow in the things of the Lord is super exciting. Um, I get to do the easy thing, just read the word, um, and then Shane gets to do the hard work um, and actually make it alive to us, but we're trusting the Spirit for that, right? Yes, so if you have your Bibles, Daniel 7, please, and your Bibles, Daniel 7, and just before I do kick off, Mel, where are you? I saw you somewhere. So great to have you with us. Mel was in hospital this week, uh, had a mild heart attack, and we trusted the Lord just for a one stent, which is what she believed for, and that's what she got. And here she is. You know, they don't make them like they used to, eh? They really don't make them like they used to. Here she is already. Well done. Praise the Lord. Daniel 7. So Daniel 7, uh, up until now, up to Daniel 6, we see a historical kind of record of Daniel with uh, Babylon and Israel and all that the Lord has done there. Uh, from chapter 7 onwards, we flip over into a different kind of theme, uh, and we begin to see the prophetic words that uh, the Lord spoke through Daniel. So things change a little, they get a little bit murkier, um, but uh, we are trusting that the Lord still wants to speak to us through them. Um, and so Daniel 7 actually fits in a few chapters back, as we see it actually happens in the first year of King Belshazzar. Remember the guy who received the writing on the wall? Uh, but in his first year of his reign, this word actually came to Daniel, so we just got to kind of flip our minds a little bit back. In the first year of King Belshazzar of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head as he lay in bed. Then he wrote down the dream. I, Daniel, saw in my vision by night the four winds of heaven stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then, as I watched, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a human being, and a human mind was given to it. Another beast appeared, a second one that looked like a bear. It was raised up on one side, had three tusks in its mouth amongst its teeth, and was told, Arise, devour many bodies. After this, as I watched, another appeared like a leopard. The beast had four wings of a bird on its back and four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the vision by night a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth and was devouring, breaking into pieces and stamping what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that preceded it, and it had ten horns. I was considering the horns when another horn appeared, a little one, coming up among them. To make room for it, three of the earlier horns were plucked up by the roots. There were eyes like human eyes in this horn and a mouth speaking arrogantly. As I watched, thrones were set in place, and the ancient one took his throne. Uh, his clothing was white as snow, and his hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and flowed out from his presence. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood attending him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I watched then because of the noise of the arrogant words that the horn was speaking. And, I, and as I watched, the beast was put to death, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. As I watched in the night visions, I saw one like a human being. 
coming with the clouds of heaven, and he came to the ancient one and was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory and kingship, and all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away, and his kingship is one that shall never be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit was troubled within me, and the visions of my head terrified me. I approached one of the attendants to ask him the truth concerning all this. So he said that he would disclose to me the interpretation of the matter. As for these four great beasts, four kings shall arise out of the earth, but the holy ones of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth concerning the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And concerning the ten horns that were on its head, and concerning the other horn which came up, and to make room for which three of them fell out. The horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke arrogantly and that seemed greater than the others. As I looked, this horn made war with the holy ones and was prevailing over them, until the ancient one came. Then judgment was given for the holy ones of the Most High, and the time arrived when the holy ones gained possession of the kingdom. This is what he said. As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth that shall be different from all the other kingdoms. It shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. This one shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, shall wear out the holy ones of the Most High, and shall attempt to change the sacred seasons and the law. And they shall be given into his power for a time, two times, and half a time. Then the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, to be consumed and totally destroyed. The kingship and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the holy ones of the Most High. Their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey them. Here the account ends. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly terrified me, as they should, and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter in my mind. Oh, goodness. Hello? Okay, cool. Morning, everybody. Um, I'm not overwhelmingly loud, am I? Cool. So, my name is Shane, or Shane Daniel. Fantastic irony. No, not at all. Um, but for those of you who haven't met me yet, I apologize. What I can guarantee you, however, is that you've heard my voice echo across these walls in loud laughter or some form of an obnoxious comment. But um, I am really, really, really privileged to be sharing this section with you, even though it is quite bizarre, the imagery. Every time someone says, oh, are you, pre- are you, are you preaching? I'm like, yes. What are you preaching on? The four beasts. Fantastic. And the irony is I've always wanted the gift of prophetic dreams, but when you see imagery like this that is just so terrifying and unsettling, I'm wondering if I need to uh, reconsider that aspiration. But moving on, Daniel gets straight to the point, and the matter of it is sharing powerful imagery of intense winds being the birthplace of an ocean that is birthing four terrifying mutant creatures, each more increasingly bizarre and jarring than the last. And now I just want to make a disclaimer. 
that this is a referential gold mine where scholars and theologians can spend so much time having intellectual brawls, figuring out what is the meaning and what are their foretellings. Can I just settle your brains right now? We are not doing that. Um, yeah. <laughs> we won't be doing that, but what we can take for certain is that these imageries, as it is stated, is poetic devices often used in the Old Testament literature denoting two kings and kingdoms using images of beasts and horns. Now, throughout Daniel, we've witnessed him receive God's favor, but warning these earthly kings not to toot their own horns too loudly while they're role-playing God, because each time their pride is rewarded with some form of brutal humbling over and over again. But what it does call them to do is to exalt God as the one true God, knowing that they were pagans and just like super stoked on the God of the moon and the sun, but find themselves humbled and going, actually, the Hebrew God is the only one that we need to be concerned with. Now today we don't have kings with crowns, or at least not with the same kind of substance and reverence, but we do have authorities of people that are governed to look after our, our, our systems and our places of work and life, but it only in some capacity. And so we ourselves kind of find ourselves like Israelite, the Israelite exiles, often amid some form of a power struggle that goes unsatisfied, and we find ourselves fearful in that tension. And much in the same way, Daniel and his people find themselves in the crossfire between the kingdoms that were constantly at brawl, and they were just sitting there hoping, please, just take us home. But instead, we're experiencing the growing pains of one kingdom after another. In Daniel alone, we know of four kings by name who represent three completely different cultures. Um, each time a king falls and is reappointed, they're experiencing that new reshuffling and a new time, a new order that kicks in and just says, sorry, your way is not the way to do it. You need to follow our way. And the brutality that that also f- encumbers. Savage reputations that fuel this kind of fearsome imagery that is so fitting in this chapter. But in this first section, we see that these beasts or kings exercise their power only by the authority that is given to them by God. But still, with unsettling phrases such as, Arise, beast, devour much flesh. Yay. <laughs> but we are also introduced to the Ancient of Days, who comes up in a raging, gleaming, holy fire with just both terrifying and calming imagery, setting up a throne, thrones, setting up a court, and opening a book of judgment. Um, I can't help but see this as a promoted fight. Here we have Daniel sitting at the stands. In the blue corner, we have our calm um, champion, the Ancient of Days, but in the red corner, we have a cocky ch- um, challenger running his mouth. And you're waiting for this epic brawl to take on, two titans clashing. But as the battle bell rings, it's kind of a waste of cash because our challenger is just flicked to death. He's destroyed and tossed into the fire to be burnt with only a memory being left of him. An interesting thing is, the few times that I've read this, I completely forgot that the, third, the three beasts don't have that same kind of fate. They don't meet that same demise. Instead, they're stripped of their powers and their authority, is revoked. And instead, they're mercifully given a prolonged time to live, a time that the Ancient of Days gets to decide. But upon his arrival, this being a title for God among many, he displays his epic power and sovereignty and the control that he has through the language of that first section, and also by the pitiful demise of the fourth beast. 
God makes it very clear in this passage, if you can look past the scary imagery, that he is in control and that nothing goes unnoticed by his hand. And so verse 13 then introduces the Son of Man, descending on a cloud, presented before the Ancient of Days. Those beasts' revoked authority is now bestowed upon our new character with a promise that after all that Daniel has witnessed, we can trust in an everlasting kingdom and that all that find themselves within its walls to be sustained forever and ever. But many of us can put two or two together. That's obviously if you are both human and divine and have the audacity to approach God, it can only be Jesus. And this is also a title that Jesus used for himself for most during his ministry, is the Son of Man. And Daniel is given the privilege to witness his coronation. But instead of celebrating the joy of what is to come, our poor dude is absolutely shaken and alarmed to the point that he can't even use his superpower that we all know him for. He can't interpret, it, interpret his own dream. Instead, rattled with anxiety, he looks to someone within his vision to interpret on his behalf. And our figure tries so hard to comfort Daniel with the fact that the hope for the saints at the end of all this chaos, and at the end there is light at the dark tunnel, that there is an everlasting kingdom, there is peace, there is rest. But Daniel is so disturbed by the presence of the fourth beast that he can't, he can't hear him. He's asking in detail, rambling on in distress about how this imagery is shaking him to his core. Suffering seems to be imminent. And if we look beyond the nightmare fuel that this fourth beast is described as, I can kind of see that Daniel is freaked out by the fact that he is in exile and he's holding on to this promise that they get to go back home after a time. I think it's in, in Jeremiah where the number 70 years is, is in his head and all he's longing for is that him and his people can go back. But that is at least the expectation. And so suffering is being promised. And if we look at how the imagery kind of builds on each other, one is it's a lion with wings, then it's a cheetah with four heads and four wings, and it just goes on and goes on. I can see that Daniel's completely distressed by the fact that they're still dealing with the first beast, and there's three more coming on. Um, Our interpreter tells him that the fourth beast in particular shall wear out the saints of the Most High, a promise for suffering. But it's only for a time and a time's time And that is for the Ancient of Days to decide, somewhat reminiscent of Romans 9 and our pots. But Daniel was encouraged to hold on to the promise, the promise of the demised beast, but at the same time, the promise for this everlasting kingdom. And I I really appreciate that Daniel is honest in his foretelling. Instead of just fixating on the, okay, cool, this is the, the Jesus answer, he's just really honest with the fact that he's disappointed that what his expectation and what he's seen do not match up. It's a very, very common um, pattern in my life. <laughs> but I also find fascinating is that Daniel has been given the whole picture from start to finish. But even then, he can't extrapolate the fact that there is hope at the end of the tunnel, that he is finding himself under the, the authority of God who is in charge of the whole cosmos and all the details within it. With also an increase, in, in, uh, this is what happens when you split two words together, an increasingly desire to restore us to the original image of the Garden of Eden. But instead, our man finds himself 
wide-eyed, quiet, and pale-faced. This also reminds me of Job, who after all his suffering finally just snaps and says, God, I, I can't take this anymore. I'm heartful. <laughs> but instead of God answering him back or explaining himself, he gives him the opportunity to take on just one day the responsibilities that he is in charge of. And so instead of Job going, like, yeah, sure, I'll do that by any time, he finds himself wide-eyed and humbled by this gnarly reveal. He is silenced by the incomprehensible complexity that is God's day job. And so here we have two men, two examples, who then continue in their faith, continue following God, even though they've been humbled in quite a raw way. But their reverence for God is profoundly deeper. And so they continue in that way. Isaiah 55, anyone who's at CS will know that I've used this a thousand times. My ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Those are God's words to his people. In other words, trust me because you cannot fathom what I have in store for you, who are my people, my sons, my daughters. And you don't need to. So if we go back to those thrones that God set up in verse 9, we can see, well, at least after like 15 read-throughs, which I didn't realize, is that it's not just two thrones that are established. It's thrones, plural. And we've often heard that Jesus seats, is seated at the right hand of God. And so in verse 18 it says, But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess it forever and ever. Last I checked, anyone who is a subject in a kingdom is given the privilege of living in the safety and sanctity of the walls. They're not often offered the dominion of an everlasting kingdom, heck, a kingdom of any kind. And so no matter how your, what's the word, dark ages knowledge of kings and all that, we have a pretty good idea, thanks to movies, of like, here's the hierarchy and you find yourself on the ground. Just, just do what I tell you. But instead, we are given to receive the kingdom and possess it forever and ever. So then in that case, the kingdom is not only run by Christ, or is it just alluding to his second coming? He's come the first time, we all know that, look at historic events. Or is it also kind of bringing into question that is God king now? Will he be king? Um, and then at the same time, what is the point of looking at this literature, speaking of four beasts and ten horns, and has that not already been fulfilled? Why does God see this worthy of studying now? And one thing that I've learned is that God doesn't work in isolation. In the same way, his way of humbling Job was showing him the complexity of what he's in charge of. And so in this case, every time I learn a lesson now, it is redefined in the future. In the same way, if you ever go to God with an ultimatum, is this the answer or is this the answer? He's often answers yes. <laughs> because it's never just straightforward. It's, it's the tension between the two. In verse 27, the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people and the saints of the Most High. It shall be everlasting. We are those saints. That's why we're sitting here. We don't feel like it, but we are. That is the title that we've been given by Christ, by God. And if we look back, Christ's death and resurrection is him going, I want to be a part of redeeming you. I want to make sure that you get to experience that throne that my Father has set up for you. Thrones, plural, not just two. Many thrones, thousands, thousands. And so 
the question I want to ask you, knowing that God has set up the plan so that we can commune in the same way that Adam and Eve had the opportunity to commune with him in the garden, and that is, are you willing to redeem your throne? Are you willing to find yourself in a space where you're going to accept the fact that Christ's blood has dealt with all your nonsense, all your sin, all that disqualifies you? Do you trust in our King and Father's sovereign plan to not only give you your throne to this kingdom, but also the promise to cultivate the garden that he's entrusted with us at the beginning of time? Are you willing to relinquish your interpretation of the future and your desire to be in control of it. In the same way Daniel thought he knew what was going on, but God had revealed to him later to say, that's not the plan. Are you willing to relinquish that? The rock that grows and consumes the earth in Daniel 2, that has destroyed the kingdoms and the power that they have over us, has already been established. We are already a part of that kingdom. Jesus is already at the right hand of God in his ruling but are we willing to rule and reign with Christ and because of Christ? If we look at those first three beasts that didn't receive the same demise as the fourth beast, they were given the grace to live, but only for a time. The first beast is, what's the word, is related to King Nebuchadnezzar who found himself beastly on all fours, crawling around for seven months while still in charge. But then when he humbled himself, God told him to rise and gave him, a, gave him the mind of a man. Because he wanted to restore the image of man. And that image is the image of God. So are you willing to find out, or sorry, are you willing to see what are your beastly tendencies and to offer them up to God? So that in Philippians 1 verse 6, God who began a good work in all of us will bring it to completion. Do we trust those words? Can we settle our shattered nerves and look past the fourth beast in our lives and actually just go to the Father and learn how to cultivate an already established kingdom and receive the peace of not having to be in control the whole time and receive the peace that God is in control, God is sovereign, and we just get to enjoy communing with Him and how He wants to enjoy us by calling us to walk with Him not to take the lead. Um, I want to be restored. I want to join those thousands of thousands, the ten of thousands that are just sitting there proclaiming God and going, this is who I am, this is what I bring, and I don't need any more than that. A very good dear friend of mine came to me one time that I found myself staring at a beast and metaphorically, but also very physically, just put his hand over my shoulder and was just removing the rocks that I carry unnecessarily, the weight and the burden that I, for some reason, feel that I need to walk with. And as he was lifting it up, I'm kind of like, oh, dude, that doesn't really do anything, but at the same time going, oh, my word, thank you so much. The weight of it literally being removed because I started to understand what am I actually in charge of? What is actually my responsibility? And so I do want to just call us to maybe just take a time to one, just bask in the reverence of God's sovereignty and the fact that he's in control and that you're really just in for the ride. <laughs> Call to have a good time in whatever way that you can fathom, especially when you have something like suffering that is promised, but to know that it is a fulfillment for the completion that he wants to bring to us.
And so to ask him, what do I have to put down so that I can just live in freedom and enjoy? So yeah, Father God, I thank you so much that we can just, we can cast our anxieties and our nonsense onto you. That you are so loving and you call us to, <laughs> to good things, Lord, in your plan. But often we want to be in control. We want to play God. But I pray that in the week to come, that we can just experience you in a new and beautiful way that calls to a revitalized relationship with you. For those of us who've played this game for a long time, and for those of us who are going, I want to try this out, can you also just reveal yourself in this beautiful way, showing how you've always taken the first step. And that you are the good Father who doesn't call us to come and earn your love, but you've given it freely. We just need to accept it. In your wonderful and glorious name, thank you. Amen.